Welcome back, everyone, to 420 Pod. 420 Pod is presented by the 420 Clinic, a medical cannabis resource center in southern Alberta. The 420 Clinic acts as a liaison between patients and doctors, and also offers educational resources to anyone who wishes to learn more about the potential health benefits of proper cannabis use. You can visit us online at 420clinic.ca or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. My name is Matthew Lundy. Today's topic is indica versus sativa. The days where you could say a bag of weed is a bag of weed are coming to an end. These days, people want to know three things when it comes to cannabis. Where did it come from? What are the effects? And how much does it cost? Two of these questions can be answered by exploring the genetics or the species of the plant from which the bud was harvested. The same way our own human genetics determine things like sex, height, eye, skin, and hair color, botanical genetics determine the height of the plant, the color of the flowers, and the subsequent effects of human consumption. Indica and sativa are two different species within the same genus, which is called cannabis. There is a third smaller species within the cannabis genus called Rudrealis, which we will touch on later in the show. But let's start with the two big guys, indica and sativa. This classification system is nothing new. In fact, it's been around since the 18th century. Early taxonomic distinctions between cannabis indica and cannabis sativa began when differences between their structure and resin production was first noted. The hybrid category was adopted later as growers began mixing genetics from different geographic locations. Indicas were first named in 1785 by French naturalist Jean-Baptiste Lemerick. The name stems from where the plants were originally collected in India. The geographical origins of indica are between 30 and 50 degrees latitude, indigenous to areas like the Hindu Kush region near Afghanistan. Besides northern India, indicas are also prevalent in Pakistan, Tibet, and Nepal. The thick coat of resin that makes indica buds famous is actually the product of climate adaptation as the thick resin protects the flowers against harsh weather conditions. The short height of indica plants and the tight density of the buds, along with the short flowering schedule, all points to the evolution of indica taking place in a less temperate mountain-like terrain. Because of their short, stocky stature, indicas are most suited for indoor gardens. Sativas were discovered in 1753, that's 30 years earlier than indicas, and were first thought to be the only species of cannabis. They are indigenous to areas much closer to the equator, between 0 and 30 degrees latitude. Countries such as Mexico, Colombia, Jamaica, Thailand, and Southeast Asia. Being subject to harsh heat of these areas, sativas evolved to be long and lanky in order to conserve water. Sativas have thin, razor-shaped leaves and are easily distinguished from the broad, overlapping leaves of indicas. I still remember the first time I held a pure sativa in my hand. 
I couldn't believe how stringy and spread out the flowers were, a far cry from the tightly packed indica buds I was used to. Given that sativas can grow to be three times taller than indicas, they are most suited for outdoor gardens. There is also a distinct difference in flowering time. Sativas take up to 90 days to complete a flowering cycle, while indicas complete budding within 60 days, one-third faster than sativas. Before we move on to hybrids, let's not forget about our third species within the cannabis genus, that being Rodrialis. Rodrialis is almost never talked about thanks to its low THC levels. It's a very short plant, never growing taller than two and a half feet. It also has a very fast flowering schedule of five to seven weeks. That's almost twice as fast as indicas. The term rudrealis stems from the root word rudreal, a plant that grows in spite of its environment. Cannabis rudrealis is native to areas in Asia, Central and Eastern Europe, and even Russia, where botanists use the term to classify the breeds of hemp that have naturally adapted to the extreme environments. Originally, cannabis rudrealis was considered a wild breed of cannabis. However, in recent years, it has been brought indoors to influence new hybrid varieties. That's because unlike sativas and indicas, which both depend on exposure to light to determine when flowering begins, rudrealis depends solely on the maturity of the plant. That means rudrealis will ignore the light cycle completely and start flowering based solely on its age. Growers have taken advantage of this trait to breed auto-flowering seeds that dramatically reduce the time it takes to harvest a particular strain. While we're on the topic of breeding, it's the perfect time to talk about hybrids. It's getting more and more difficult to find pure indica or pure sativa. Much of what is available is a combination or a hybrid between the two. When I'm shopping for cannabis, I'm much more likely to find sativa or indica dominant hybrids as opposed to one or the other. There are many reasons breeders do this. For example, sativas are often crossed with indicas to increase bud density or control the overall height of the plant. Breeding also opens the door to new flavor and terpene combinations, as well as grouping together specific therapeutic effects that may not otherwise be available from indica or sativa strains. To discuss the effects of these two plant species is medical director here at 420 Clinic, Dr. Ife Abiola. Here's a clip from my discussion with the doctor about indica versus sativa. I'd now like to welcome back to the program, Dr. Ife Abiola. Hello. Ife is becoming a regular guest on our show. Um, today, we're talking about indicas versus sativas. Let's start off by looking at the pros and cons of each of these two species. First, what are some of the medicinal qualities inherent to sativas? And then let's follow that up with some drawbacks. So I think we need to kind of distance ourselves from the term medicinal qualities. The medicinal qualities are in the active ingredients, which are THC and CBD. Um, where we can distinguish indica from sativa will be the response that someone has to it. So the side effects or the adverse effects that we could get. So the main way to look at it would be whether or not it's sedating versus uplifting, whether or not it is something that can cause clarity or something that can cause uh, drowsiness. 
And we find that with indica, it's more of a sedating and drowsier type of effect, whereas with sativa, it's more energetic and uplifting. There's also drawbacks to each of these um, strains. For example, sativas, I found if I have too much sativa, I can get into kind of a hyper-aware state. Too much indica, I can get into a couch lock or um, too much ease and relaxation. What are some of the responses you've seen of people who are taking too much of either indica or sativa? That's exactly that. Like people who have been taking way too much of an indica species or an indica strain rather, uh, tend to be the ones that tend to just fall asleep right away. Uh, whereas with sativa, they're up all night, they're cleaning their house, they're going for a run or something like that. So it's it's just the general effects that we see. And again, these are trends are not solid rules. There are some strains that are uh, cannabis indica that can actually make you energetic and some that can actually uh, make you feel uh, uplifted in the same way as sativa would. So these are just general trends with uh, the specific indica or uh, sativa strains. So what are some of the medical ailments that are being treated by sativas? Uh, sativas can help with things like depression, uh, things like uh, lethargy, uh, anything that can be counteracted with energy. Uh, whereas with indica, it's generally things like uh, if anyone is having any issues involving sleep, sleep disorders, they tend to be taking things like an indica just to help with sleep induction. Time of day is a good guide to help people choose the right strains for the right situation. Sativas work well during the day, like we've discussed, indicas at night. What other tips can you give patients who are looking to match the right strain to the right situation? How can, would you say, look at your symptoms, look at what you want to achieve? Where do people start with this? Always look at your symptoms. Always look at your symptoms. And again, I, I'm not a fan of the term strain because I think people use it like it's a scientific term and it's not. Uh, it's a lot of generalities and it's a lot of people claiming proprietary uh, ownership of something that is just like a, a plant with certain types of phenotypic genetics there. Um, yeah, one, always look at your Always look at your symptoms, uh, and a lot of it is trial and error, really. Uh, there's general uh, just trends of what can happen, and a lot of people have actually documented this online, but everyone is a little bit different. Just look at what your issues are and then go from there. So let's move on to recreational versus medicinal use. How would you separate those two? It's something that needs to be clarified. I see recreational use as just trying to have fun. You're just – there's – you're not trying to alleviate a condition. Right. Uh -huh. Right. I think it's important that we, when people are choosing the right strengths, the right situation, indicas or sativas, one of the things that they need to figure out is, is this recreational use or is this medicinal use? Like, what, like, do you mean like how can people know if they're using it recreationally or medically? That's a good place to start. If you have a condition and you're using it for that condition, you're using it medically. If you're just using it for fun, you're using it recreationally. Also under the care of a, um, a doctor like yourself, that would be medical use compared to just going out and buying it by yourself. That'd but be but some, pe some people self-medicate, though. That's a great great point. That's, that's the thing, too. Uh, there's a lot of people who have been, let's say even before the MMAR came out or the ACMPR, um, who have been using it for things like cancer treatments or for MS. And, you know, it wasn't under the, the guidance of the tutelage of a doctor. They just used it that way. They used it effectively, so they were self-medicating. Um, if it's just for fun, it is recreational. Uh, in that case, you need to understand uh, if you want to be sedated or you want to be energized, and you can go from there. Uh, medically speaking, it just has to deal with the symptoms. Excellent. Mm. Thank you for clarifying that. Mm. Um, after a bit of education and some searching, people will often find a favorite strain to suit their needs, whether that's recreation or medicinal like we just talked about. 
But after using the same strain for a prolonged period, they find the effects tend to wear off quicker or they need more to achieve the same effect. Can you talk a little bit about how to deal with tolerance over time? Well, one thing you can do with, with tolerance is to increase the amount of mercine that you're using. Um, mercine, what it does is it makes the blood-brain barrier more permeable. So you actually get a higher effect from the same amount. That being said, with cannabis, because of the way our CB1 and CB2 receptors are, are, uh, are have like their signaling system set up, uh, we don't have the same amount of tolerance that we would with like, let's say a benzodiazepine or an opiate or something like that, because we don't actually downregulate the receptors. By that, I mean that our body does not get rid of CB1 and CB2 receptors if we're using too much. Opiates and benzodiazepines, we do. So tolerance should not be something that's that's occurring. If it is, there might be some underlying problems, like maybe, you know, you're forming a habit or something like that. But tolerance isn't that prevalent with cannabis. So I found if I use the same strain for like a month, um, switching to a similar strain will refresh the effects for me. Also, um, exercising a lot seems to keep my tolerance down. Um, you mentioned micrine. Mercy. Mercy. Um, is mercy found in mangoes? Mercy is found in mangoes, yeah. Okay, because there was in, another study. That, in, in ripe mangoes, yeah. Yeah, that was done that showed from Stepo Labs in San Francisco that showed fresh fruit can or fresh mangoes can bring down tolerance, which links to that that chemical we just talked about, that, mm -hmm. uh, that terpene, actually. Right. Perfect. So both indica and sativa species can be very potent, and both can cause confusion or dysphoria if too much is consumed. What are the ways some people can mitigate a bad trip? Use less. Use less. Uh, if you're being very sensitive to THC, I would suggest uh, making sure the product that you're using has an equal or greater amount of CBD there uh, with it. I would also recommend never mixing it with something like alcohol or other drugs. Uh, but the main way is just to reduce the amount and the frequency of usage. If you find that you're having consistent adverse reactions to the use of cannabis, uh, it's maybe just best to stop in that case. But if you're having a, an issue with bad trips, or uh, using it and feeling dysphoria, use less. And if you do unfortunately cross that threshold, one of the tips I hear a lot is it will pass. You know, watch watch a funny movie, lay down, get in a comfortable space. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be permanent. You're not going to feel this way forever. It will pass. Uh, it depends on the mood of administration that you've taken the uh, substance in. Uh, but it's not going to last longer than 10 hours. If it does last longer than that, it might have been your first or second time using it. Uh, but again, a lot of it is just controlling the amount that you're taking. Perfect. My last question today for you is, why are hybrids so popular in today's market as opposed to strains with only one lineage? Because both have a lot of positive aspects to it. And if it can be bred for the best of both worlds, it's going to be ideal. So let's say you want to be uh, energetic, uh, but you don't want to be wired. Having one that you know does have a sativa uh, dad and an indica mom might be able to be bred in a certain way that you can have it be just kind of a nice middle rather than going one way or the other because both have their, their advantages and both have their drawbacks. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people will be looking at uh, a product and wondering whether or not it is indica or sativa or wondering uh, what causes uh, the effects that they would see there. So I would say generally, if you were looking at a product and you need to identify it, uh, if you can uh, look at it and see something that is spring green, so by that I mean like something you would see like in a, like a tree, a nice spring green like, you know, lettuce, let's say. That is most likely going to be sativa. It was most likely grown in an equatorial area, so maybe in the Caribbean or in Southeast Asia uh, or somewhere along the equator, maybe somewhere in South America as well. Uh, you're also going to find that the leaves are very thin and needle-like. 
Uh, they're also very sparse. The plant itself, if someone needed to identify a plant, you know, hope, you know, I'm not advocating growing on your own, but if you needed to identify it, it would be a very, very tall plant. Uh, it would also be very fibrous. It would also be very sparse. Now, this is opposed to indica, which would be a very deep green, like something you would see in your lawn or something that you would see on a pine tree. And the leaves would be very, very broad. And the plant itself would be very short and very, very bushy. And it would actually take uh, less time for it to go to flowering as opposed to a sativa. And uh, now in this case, you would see it most likely grown in uh, the Middle East, actually, the Middle East and South uh, South, South Asia. Like by that, I mean like in the India and Pakistan rather than Southeast Asia, like oh, yeah. uh, like Thailand or Indonesia, where you would find a sativa. So there are a lot of different ways to look at this. And again, uh, this is just a way to taxonomically distinguish the two. Cannabis sativa is the species of cannabis that you can smoke with with THC. But these are subsections of it. Cannabis sativa indica, cannabis sativa Sativa. So if you understand just how they're grown in different areas, how they look differently, and also the flavonoid and terpenoid profiles are what gives it those distinctive effects that you find there. So it's not just a matter of all indicas will act this way or all sativas will act this way. These are just general trends that they have because of their ratios of terpenoids, flavonoids, and THC and CBD. Excellent. Thank you for wrapping that all up in a nice little bow, Ife. Mm-hmm. Um, that does it for our interview. We hope to have you back on again soon. Yeah, thank you. That wraps it up for another episode of 420 Pod. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. For inquiries about the show, you can contact Amber at 420clinic.ca. For everyone here at the 420 Clinic, this is Matthew Lundy, signing off.